0: It's not modern, it's not monetary, and it's really not much of a theory. If ever there was a prime example of a belief in the fairy Govermother being mixed with a bad case of warmed over monetary crankdom, the suddenly newly fashionable doctrine which masquerades under the potentous sounding name of modern monetary theory, MMT for short, must surely qualify. Built upon that age-old deceit of planners that they, and the offices of state and the bureaucracy which they occupy, provide a more rational means of organising people's lives than can the good common folk ever attain themselves through the voluntary relations and market dealings which they conduct, MMT seeks to overcome first of all, primarily, the objection that even the most benign and far-sighted government should not spend wildly beyond whatever it levies by means of the many taxes, fees, licences, transaction charges and miscellaneous other exactions, it can persuade its long-suffering subjects to endure. The way it does this is to marry a decidedly old school of monetary thinking called chartalism, child of the court intellectuals of imperial Prussia and stepfather to the Weimar hyperinflation, to that other hoary old canard that the public debt does not matter, since some faceless we are said to owe it to our equally anonymous selves. Starting, as to so much that is bad about mainstream economics, with a simplistic and crushingly aggregative set of tautological identities emanating from who else but that evil genius Keynes, the MMT crowd next perform a few rounds of high school algebraic manipulation to make these conveniently defined but thoroughly abstract entities line up to prove that every penny of government deficit spending must perforce be matched by an equal and opposite penny of private sector saving. Hey presto, they cry. We have now demonstrated that even the most incontinent of regimes can neither immolate the nation in a damaging blaze of inflation, nor allow anti-social hoarders and parasitic rentiers to suffocate it in a deep deflationary freeze of miserly abstinence. From this assertion, and here is where the chartalism bit comes in, as long as the state uses its full apparatus of legalized violence to ensure that its obligations are the only things that pass for money, so no silver, no gold, no ryeback notes, cigarette coupons, carry shells or bitcoins, it can always fund its big digs, its high-speed railway lines, its bridges to nowhere and its nine days wonder Olympic stadia, as well as all the day-to-day vote buying and special interest coddling to which this most caries-ridden of tooth fairies routinely stoops. You, the poor saver who has given up your own choice of goods in order to make such miracles possible, might be forgiven for casting a jaundiced eye at such evidence of either expensive pyramid building or plain old-fashioned exhaustive consumption, and inquire politely just what of productive value is being created in order that your savings at least preserve and hopefully increase their value. Once you start down this route, you will soon realise that it is only in the narrowest of contexts that the MMT Brigade can be said to have a point. Namely, that if the government does confiscate our wealth, we will necessarily consume less than we might have wished to. And so, in some perverted sense of a very overworked word, we might just be said to have saved that much. Not only to elevate this Sheriff of Nottingham practice of legitimised banditry into a major policy plank, but to dress the perps up in Lincoln Green so they can pretend to be Robin Hood's Merry Men does take quite some neck, as I'm sure you will agree. Now granted, the state robbers in the MMT version of the future are craftically going to disguise their theft by issuing us with a requisition chit in the form of their fiat currency, and will thereby so deftly pick our pockets that it might take us some time to work out that we have indeed been had. But this sleight of hand hardly mitigates the severity of the crime or lessens the degree of loss we will suffer. After all, even such a tender-hearted small government paragon as Mussolini famously declared that you could not increase a country's wealth simply by issuing extra paper portraits of its rulers. The crucial distinction the MMT has seemed congenitally unable to make in the course of their half-finished reasoning is that while their precious accounting identity, that deficits equals savings, may under certain very restricted circumstances be said to hold true, the dynamics, the process, the praxeology if you will, of what is at work is what matters most. Thus, very different results follow in the case where a man voluntarily decides up front, ex ante an economist speak, to finance some other entity's expenditure in exchange for a promise to pay later, As opposed to the one where he finds that, after the game has been played for a round or two, and so ex-post in the Latinate jargon, he has been landed with what none other than the Beelzebub of Bloomsbury, Keynes himself once referred to as the bad or depreciating half-crown. In the first case, though not guaranteed to win the pot from his competitors, he is at least playing his own hand fairly and squarely. In the second... He not only looks around the table and realises he is the proverbial patsy, but that the house is full-flushing and the dealer has a sleeve stuffed with extra aces. More fundamentally still, the simple fact is that the whole of economic science must be founded on a real-world concept of the scarcity and finiteness of means. This is a requirement which utterly escapes the MMT wizards, who seem instead to think that their special insights allow them, along with Shakespeare's blowhard Glendower, to summon spirits, and boundless economic means along with them, from the vasty deep. The idea that, regardless of the magnitude of government spending, you, I and our next-door neighbour can happily provide its clamorous army of functionaries, contractors and welfare recipients with as many real resources as they need, is clearly a nonsense of the first order. Ask anyone whose grandparents were unfortunate enough to have to fund the latest five-year plan by queuing for hours outside the state dispensary in the chill of a Russian winter, all in the hope of securing the last head of mouldy cabbage for their cheerless, meagre supper. Moreover, what all this lofty aggregation, all this misleading compression of the actions and interactions of hundreds of millions of people into a single mute character in an equation, also overlooks, is the fact that the obligations, and in extremis the currency issued by the state, will not rest inertly with its initial choice of a saver, but will inevitably pass through many hands, altering relative prices, detecting business success or failure, and redistributing wealth in the most insidious and arbitrary of fashions as it does. The largely unpredictable topographical changes which are brought about by this scouring of the economic landscape with the floodwaters of state spending and monetized credit creation are known to those of us with a slightly wider exposure to economic history as Cantillon effects. Yes, that Cantillon. After the first great analyst of the disorder which resulted from John Law's, frankly proto charterist MMT precursor, Mississippi scheme of 300 years ago. Such unforeseen consequences, all too many of them unrelievedly malign, also seem to elude our bold MMTers when they start their hands waving and their lips moving in the promotion of their airy imaginings. Beyond even the question of whether MMT does dictate that the books will balance, come what may, when Leviathan doles out more than it gathers in, there also lies the issue of whether the concentration of a greater part of our resources into the hands of the beast is in any way an advisable aim. Government, after all, is not some Olympian deification of dispassionate justice, not even the justice of the oxymoronic social kind, but it is a creature which suffers from all the faults we associate with an absence of real ownership, i.e. from its lack of skin in the game, as the current vogue has it. It is also generally exempt from formal accounting and budgetary strictures, or from much in the way of temporal limitation, never being subject to the relentless if decidedly necessary test of validity constituted for the private sector by the annual profit and loss account. Further, it is an institution within which men and women like you and me are free to pursue their own often highly venal agendas and to do so, unlike those of us in private society who are often so harshly criticised for committing the very same sins, by proxy and therefore in a manner highly insulated from the costs of practising their prejudices or giving rein to their wilder utopian enthusiasms. In essence, the MMT dreams of being the Roman procurator of a newly conquered province. He first wishes to use the armed might at the command of his colleague the imperial legate to exact tribute, savings, from their new subjects. Next he will make these payments over to the occupying troops, and have them spend the proceeds in the townships or Viki newly sprouted beside the legionary camps for that express purpose. That done, he will then congratulate himself that he has conferred the benefits of a higher civilization upon his unwilling hosts, the despised and previously ungoverned Britonculi. Adding to this veneer of public service the fruits of 1500 years of economic wrong turns and misdirected conceptualising, The MM MMTers will thus not only confer a certain Romanitas upon us plebs, they will ensure a maximum of Keynesian aggregate demand, and so forever abolish wanton poverty in all their many forms into the bargain. Some hope. By now it should be plain that not only is there little modern about modern monetary theory, but that its workings are more fiscal than monetary, and that as theories go, this one is not only far fetched, but fairly well worn to boot. As Nobel winner Gunnar Medal once caustically remarked of Keynes' vaunted talent for innovation, MMDT displays much of the typically unnecessary originality of the English speaking economist. As Henry Hazlitt even more bitingly put it of the same man's overlorded general theory, it contains much that is original and true. Sadly, That which is true is not original, and that which is original is not true. Now if you'll excuse me, I'm off to persuade my bank manager that my overdraft is, in MMT terms, not a matter for his censure, but rather a gift to him on my part, the better to help him save for his future. I hope you found this of interest, and if so, please visit the website www.cantillon-consulting.ch for more information, Check out examples of my work on speakerdeck slash Cantillon SC or follow me on Twitter via CantalonCapitalCh. Thank you for your indulgence.